1: Hello, welcome back to Ausbears. Uh, You are with the call between now and 1pm Eastern Daylight Time. This is where we analyse 10 stocks suggested by you. We put it to two of our experts uh, for their opinion and we do it all in 60 minutes. It's great to have your company as we... uh, Take a look at the markets, and um, what a panel we have for you today, of course. the Mark joins us from Team Invest. Mark, how are you? I'm good to see excellent. you. No, 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 great. It's great to be here. And Scott from Motley Fool joins us after uh, getting on the turps with us on Friday night for the last call. Great to have you as part of that, Scott. Um, Thank you. How you. are the Southern Highlands today?
0: Hey, lovely. Thank you very much. The rain has finally stopped. There's even a bit of sun, Gosh, so I'm feeling good this morning. this afternoon.
1: <laughs> excellent. Excellent. And... Um, uh, Mark, have you been uh, talked to Scott uh, before about this? The uh, uh, the issues on Wall Street at the moment, silver going through the roof last night as the, the yeah. Reddit mob took on the short sellers. Yeah,
2: it's it, this whole uh, change with the uh, Reddit group and all the all the people who are uh, small investors investing their uh, payments they're getting from the governments. That's what it is. Millions of them. It's quite yeah. amazing the effect it's having oh, on, the, huge. on the market and uh, seeing some of these uh, hedge funds getting beaten up. Uh, I think it's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Scott
1: and I were uh, talking about it the other night, So, and they're all going, oh, boo-hoo, people are being mean to us. Well, Scott, they've they've had it their own way for a while now, haven't they? Mind you, short sellers do play an important role in the market, don't they?
0: Look, I think that's it, Koshi I think you know the, the, the short and distort crowd, as they're called, they're the bad guys. The, the, the fair to short sellers who don't actively go out and try and create the problems they're gonna try and profit from. I have not a big deal with, look, I'm not a big fan of shorting generally. I'm not entirely sure we do need it actually. Uh, I'd be happy without it. We don't short houses or cars or jeans, but yeah. somehow we need to short stocks. I don't know that it's that clear and that obvious and need that the market has. But that said, as I said, the, the reasonable respectable guys who just go about their business quietly, hold their shorts justifiably and with high conviction, no problem with those guys. It is the others who get out there and yeah. make all the noise and try and profit from the doom and gloom and- that I have a problem with.
1: And there's a lot of noise at the moment. Even the floor manager today on Sunrise, young bloke, 30-year-old, going, Koshi, what about that silver price last night? And you go, mate, just settle down, you know, because when a short squeeze comes on, um, yes, it will go up, but it's incredibly volatile. It's a trading thing. You've got to get
2: out at the top. Otherwise, you could lose everything. So just stay away from it. Well, silver's unlikely to go to zero. Yeah. So you won't lose everything. But I think the the other thing with the... um, uh, with silver is the relationship with gold yeah. is way lower than it's ever been in history. So there's sort of an argument to say that silver relatively has been very cheap. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah maybe it's just starting to catch. go back to where it should do, perhaps. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. maybe. All right. Yeah. Okay, before we get into your 10 stocks, uh, uh, I always pick a uh, stock of the day to take a look at. And today I thought we'd take a look at Temple and Webster. Uh, more than doubling revenues and active customers in the first half of its uh, trading year. Earnings also rising to just under $15 million for the half. The online retailer also saying the company is debt free, cash flow positive in its Outlook Temple uh, already saying January revenues have doubled year on year with the focus to shift towards reinvestment and growth. However, Uh, Despite flagging a number of tailwinds, the company didn't mention guidance going forward in the release. Um, Scott Templer, Webster has been a bit of a darling of the markets during during the pandemic. What do you think of the result and how does it affect its investment potential?
0: Yeah, Kashi, as you say, revenue more than doubled, EBITDA up five or six-fold. So what shares are obviously down 6%, right? That's how these tend to work. Kogan had the same thing last week. Look, you know, it is a highly priced stock. I like it a lot as a business. I think the growth is going to continue for a long time to come. And when it's going from a small amount of profit to meaningfully larger profits with a bit of margin enhancement and a lot of sales growth, that's a pretty good run as long as you're prepared to take the risk and, and realize that it's pretty richly valued right now. Um, there's nothing <coughs> to dislike about any of these results, as you say, other than maybe the fact they're not giving guidance. I've got a, I've got a pet hate for companies to give guidance, mate, quite honestly. It creates so many perverse incentives inside the company. I've worked for businesses that go and, you know, desperately try and get their quarterly, half-yearly, yearly numbers. They'll you know, bend steel to try and get there and then deal with it next year when they've got to, you know, work out what the uh, the impact is and how they're going to recover from <coughs> it. So, look, I, I love the fact they're not giving guidance. I think fewer companies should, mm-hmm. unless you absolutely have that contracted revenue, stay the hell away from it, quite honestly. So nothing to dislike about these earnings at all, these revenues at all. And as you say, the January trading update, really strong. Uh, I see absolutely no reason not to keep liking it. It's it's been a buy for us for a while. It remains that um, despite the 6% fall today.
2: Okay. All right. Mark Morland, Um, what do you think? Well, uh, yes, it it is a good report. Uh, It's off a very low base, though, because they've been listed for five full years. And the first three years, they made big losses. Then they made $0.03. per share yeah. and then they've jumped to 11 cents per share so that's why from a numerical point of view that's a big increase but yep. it's off virtually zero base, base. Yep. Um, so i'd be wary of that the P is on an astronomically high number which is totally unreasonable for the uh, for the company in the space it's in if you look at the uh coronavirus it's really really benefited um these companies you know like perfect example is nick Scarling, you know yep. which was up massively as well and they're in bedding and uh, beds private mainly these guys are a bit more diversified but clearly whilst everyone's been locked down, they've been doing home improvements and buying stuff. Yep. So I think there's been a lot of these durable goods are not yep. that bought that I've often. So, sort of been sitting at
1: home going, what shall oh, I do? The, this couch is uncomfortable,
2: yeah. uh, let's replace it. Oh,
1: exactly. I've been staring at that coffee table too long, let's replace that's it. That's right, that's yeah. right.
2: And I think, well, I, I, I suspect they have bought sales forward Right. So now, Corona looks like it's going to go on for quite a lot longer, so they'll probably have another good reporting period. Yeah. But uh, Ditto for Nick Scarley, by the way. I'm a bit nervous that uh, no, no. Uh, people can't assume... Well, you're a big fan it. of I am, fans. I am, and I'm a shareholder. Yeah, yeah. But the point is, though... The PEs are quite high, and these are really high on this one. Um, And it's on an assumption there that that growth is going to continue. And I think that's a dangerous assumption. I think I'd I'd, I'd take it back a few notches. Um, And and I think the same dynamic might play out for um, Temple and Webster as well. So I wouldn't be a buyer, particularly at the current uh, PE, which is about 90, I think.
1: Right. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, Good analysis there of Temple and Webster. Let's kick off your stocks. You want us to take a look at Olivia. Uh, Mark wants a view on Bank of Queensland, the big regional bank. I know it's in the last couple of weeks a massive amount of analysts are switching to the big four banks, Morgan Stanley. I think's gone overweight banks for the first time in six years. We yeah. had uh, Julia Lee uh, on the call last week. I think talking ANZ, she prefers the regionals than the big four. What do you think? Of we bank don't of like Queensland? any of them. Uh, still don't like any we, of no, them
2: no and the reason is if you look at if you look at um uh bank of queensland the their eps growth is negative by the way all the banks are negative at the moment right. so yeah. so they're going down yeah. so the, the argument is well uh, are they cheap well i'd argue no at the moment um uh bank of queensland's on a 13.8 pe which is sort of mid-range but it's not cheap right. and it's got negative earnings growth so no. the uh, saves on a margin of safety we're showing it returning negative nine percent a year over the next five years and about minus five on a default if they just continue doing what they're doing. Right. So I don't know why you'd bother. The return on equity is 6.4, right. uh, which is woeful. Yep. Um, we, yep. we want a minimum of 10, yep. uh, absolute minimum. So it's nearly yep. 50% off there. It does have quite high stability as most of the banks do. Yep. Banks do. I mean, the CBR I think, is still the best of the banks if you wanted to buy a bank, right. not County Macquarie, right. which is a different case. Right. Uh, but no, I would have zero interest in this. Okay. All right. Um, uh, Scott,
1: there is... Sort of a view, isn't there, that they may have overdone the write downs with COVID, and they could get, you know, bring all those back into the into the bottom line and and resume dividends. Is that is that a fair argument or not?
0: I think it is, Koshy. I think there's there's two pieces here, and there's there's a short term and a long term story. I absolutely think they were probably, frankly, not prudent enough taking the downgrades and the, and the provisions last mm. year because the probability was that, frankly, things are going to be a lot worse. The, the, the miracle of the Australian economic recovery is truly that is a miracle. We, we couldn't have expected, hoped for, dared even imagine it was possible how well we've come out of this. So they didn't take enough at the time. That being said, in hindsight, we can look at that and say they have more than enough. And so both of those things can be true based on those points in time. They will write a heap of those back, They will resume paying their dividends, and they will have more than enough cash to pay all those dividends and more probably, possibly some capital returns or or special dividends. So if you're an income-seeking investor, I get why the banks might look attractive, and that's absolutely true. I am with Mark though on the long-term story of the banks. If you think about what's gonna drive house price growth, and frankly, we've seen a massive growth in house prices over the last 12 months, which are great for the banks. But if you think about how does that continue moving forward? Rates can't go that much lower. I guess they can go negative, but let's let's assume they can't or at least hope they can't. Um, you know, what drives house prices higher from here? It's either higher wages. That's not happening. A higher share of our wages going to mortgages. And that has a an upside cap at some point um, or more your household members going to work. And I'm sure of selling the kids down the salt mines. That's pretty much tapped out as well. So if you think about you know long term profit growth for these banks from here, I don't know how you do it and I don't know how you justify the current PEs if that's true. So I've got to say, mm. I, I think there will be a, you know, a bit of money splashed around by the banks in the next three and six months, but I yeah. don't think that makes a market-beating investments from here.
1: Okay. All right. Really good comments there, but uh, Olivia, and thank you for uh, suggesting it to us. Um, Scott, the next uh, company is being suggested by Seol, GDI Property Group, a, a big property um, owner and fund manager. Uh, Biggest shareholder is Vanguard, which I thought was interesting with about 8% of the stock, um, has done, had reasonable, by the look of it, share price return over recent years.
0: This is a fascinating one. Koshy. Look, it, It's a great time to be a, to be a stock analyst or, or an investor right now because COVID is throwing the cat among the pigeons. It's a great time if you if you like the challenge, right? If you want things to be calm and normal and easy. Uh, this is not the time for you. But if you like the idea of digging into stuff, this is a, a fascinating time to be doing it because of those numbers that Mark mentioned before. EPS negative for the banks right now, for example. So what does it look like? Property trusts are the same challenge. This GDI is largely an office based property trust. Yeah. Now, The question for all of us is how quickly do people go back to work where do they go back to work in what numbers do they eventually go back to work and what does that mean for offices for office rates in in this particular circumstance now gdi is currently trading under 0.9 times book so you're getting all the assets for less than their value which is normally a pretty good trade generally speaking but Mm. the market's reasonably saying well hang on i don't really know if these assets are going to be worth what they have historically been if people don't go back to work. And I think that is, I don't have a strong answer for that. My sense is that we'll work from the office less than we're used to. I don't think we're all gonna work from home forever and never go back to the office either, by the way. Um, So there's a story there somewhere. I think you've gotta be a little bit mindful of what you're buying if you're buying GDI right now. It's not the bargain, it appears. It might be super expensive if, by the way, things go back to some sort of normal in terms of office occupancy and and travel. And I I drove into your offices and home on on Friday, as you mentioned, and the roads were just spectacularly clear. It was like doing it on a weekend. So (laughs) people aren't going back to the office just yet. I'm not going to buy GDI just because I don't know that we have enough certainty. And the upside potential simply isn't there to make the risk worthwhile.
1: Yeah, it is very interesting because... You know, um, <clears throat> at our Brand Guru studios here in um, uh, in Sydney, there are three office towers and we we can look into, as you go up the lift, look into Westpac, who have a lot of floors in the the tower next to us. Uh, and I'd been told, they'd said to the staff, okay, time to come back to work, because um, I've got a mate who works in there. So I thought, oh, first full week back this week, went up to the lift, yesterday. yes, there are people in there, but there's probably... Fifteen deaths between them. Mm-hmm. So if that's getting back to work, there's still a lot not doing it, Mark.
2: Yeah. No, I totally agree with um, everything Scott said. <coughs> My view is that it's it's uh, the ten percent uh, uh, discount on net uh, tangible assets and so on nowhere near enough. Right. If it was at fifty percent, so so mm-hmm. the
1: market's saying. They're gonna to have to write down at least. Well, what's gonna happen manage. is
2: remember the value of the assets are based on rental returns and cap rates yep. and so on. So if, if the occupancy rate goes down ten or twenty percent or whatever, that's gonna make a big difference yes. down the road. And yep. there are large tenants who are cancelling and negotiating out of tenancies, big ones. Yeah, you know, yep. so I think there has to be a significant reduction on demand demand yeah. in CBD office uh, towers, which is so, where these. So which, it's
1: not just GDI;
2: it's, oh, it's the whole that pe- sector, it's the whole sector. It's, so like it's very it, dangerous. So yeah. it's, it's, I mean you'd want a big discount to say, well, to invest in it now. Yeah. It's on a PE ratio, which is in the middle of its mid range, black. Right. So it's not cheap. Right. It's not even in the bottom quartile. Wow. So I'd have zero interest. The return on equity is five point five, and uh, you know, it's just it, it it's just not. Um, there's no ability to forecast what it's going to be, you know, going forward. Right. Um, we don't know what the uh, new paradigm is going to be with office space, but I suspect it's going to be significantly um, uh, lower, less occupancy, and therefore it'll hit values. Yeah. Okay. So All there right. may be a really good time to buy them, but I don't think it's yet. Well, <clears throat>
1: yeah, you'd sort of, you'd want a, a trend to start appearing, wouldn't you? To, to say well, we, haven't
2: okay, <clears throat> we haven't seen the impact yet.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And get some indication. <clears throat> All right, um, our next stock to take a look at, uh, Doug wants a view on Novanix. Uh, Scott, I notice on Motley Fool, what was it last week? You did a um, did a rundown of Novanix, which was timely after their, their share price dropped a bit. This is the uh, lithium-ion battery uh, maker.
0: Mm. Koshi, it's tempting, isn't it, to want to jump on one of these macro tra- trends. Uh, I, I have absolutely, you know, no doubt that in 20 years time, 25 years time, the entire national car fleet is, you know, renewable in one form or another, electronic or hydrogen or something. And that will absolutely benefit those people who are mining and producing lithium for, for car batteries in particular, but also house storage. I've got a Powerwall one on my, on my wall outside. Um, these are These are things that are going to be in higher demand. Of course, the question is not whether that's true, but whether companies can make money and this company in particular can make money doing it. Now, if I told you 100 years ago about the surge in oil demand over that the following century, you would have sold everything and bought oil and you would have probably maybe kept up with inflation. If I told yeah. you 50 years ago, the air travel was going to go up 10,000 fold, you would have sold everything and lost a fortune multiple times over on <laughs> airline stocks. And so I think just knowing the the, the trend is not enough. Um, worth saying, by the way, Nervonix was previously Graphite Corp. So when graphite was the hot yep. thing, it was doing that. Now lithium is the hot thing, it's doing that. So drawing conclusions, I don't think investing in lithium miners is going to be a smart investment from this point. I think lithium demand goes up. I think lithium usage goes up. But I think more lithium gets found and mined at commercial rates. And that means there's not enough profit left for anybody to yeah. make an absolute fortune on this one. So I wouldn't okay. be buying Devonix. And,
1: and one of the things that the Motley Fool report uh, pointed out was that, that it received... Um, what is it? Five and a half million US dollar grant by the US Department of Energy. It's, um, um, it's US based subsidiary <coughs> Pure Graphite. Now, just because you get a, a grant from the government isn't, it's sort of good for credibility, isn't it? But isn't a sign that there's going to be any revenue or any orders coming through?
0: Look, it's, it's good for credibility. It says they are, they're an established, known, to some degree, trusted organisation. That wouldn't be the first government grant given to someone who didn't actually nah. manage to deliver on that. Yep. But the other thing, too, is it does for shareholders to some degree reduce the the absolute need for more and more capital they'll need more capital anyway probably but you know a grant yeah. is better than a dilutive capital raising so don't look that yeah those are undue, undoubtedly positive signs Novonix may well end up being a credible long-term miner of lithium uh again no slight on the company just whether you can do that and make a fortune yeah. in the process that's the bit i'm way you know far far not, uh, not comfortable with saying is, is likely given the given the standards that we know <coughs> have the commodity companies right across the board, iron ore, coal, oil, uh, tin, nickel, you name it, there are cycles and sometimes you get a great price, sometimes you get a terrible price. But overall, these industries struggle to make any decent money above the cost of capital over the long term.
2: Yeah. Mark? That's all very true. And that's why they call them commodities. Because they're common. (laughs) And There's there's misallocations in the market sometimes when demand exceeds supply, which is what happened with iron and China. So China's demand went through the roof and then it took years for Rio and BHP to ramp up production because you don't just turn the, the dial. Yep, yep. You've got to build new mines, new infrastructure yep. and so on. Then it's catching up now and so on. So the, it's fair to assume that over the next few years iron ore prices will probably start uh, coming down. They can yeah, go a long way Because there's a lot of we're development. Probably it, it, the market tends to overshoot. Yep. So it's catch up and then overshoot. That's what happens. Yep. In lithium, there's a lot of players and yep. the uh, that are established already. That this company has a very strong history of losing money and it's losing it at, on an accelerating clip. Right. So every year they're losing more and more and faster and faster. And when I say losing money, they're losing like last year they lost thirty uh, percent uh, of their equity. And uh, the right. year before was 130, 32 The year before that, so every year has been at least thirty percent no, a no, year that's a lost. Lot. So yeah. you look at the revenue. The revenue uh, per share is one cent, and the share price is two two dollars sixty-nine. So that means you're paying sort of 200 times sales. right? So they've got no sales. So, so that's revenue, yes, not, revenue. Not, not profit. Not profit. <laughs> yes, so it's, it's like 200 years. times yeah. revenue. <laughs> now, for that, you'd say this has got to be a shoot the lights out, incredible success story to justify that. And I'd say, well, the losses are increasing. So it's an accelerating line going down. Yeah. And then you've got experienced and mature players yeah. in the market, like mineral resources, yes. with their uh, mine and the Mile uh, lithium hydroxide plant, which will yeah. be finished this year. You know, they're, And, and they're, they make heaps of money. Yeah. and they're positioned really, really well with high grade deposits. So why would you want to punt on a, a new player right. who's got a record of losing money on the basis that, so for some reason, that might get better? Yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't touch it. Okay,
1: Where uh, lithium is, um, seems to be uh, very popular amongst our viewers at the moment. We uh, oh. had a look at Lake Resources yesterday, uh, Gorab Sodhi and, and Maitan Darren, and, and they said exactly the same thing. Lake Resources, really early stage, Go into mineral resources, known player, bit of diversity. I'm a shareholder by the way I remember, right. remember I am biased. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay. Good to declare it, but yeah. but they they back you up. Yeah. You know, don't get caught out
2: on on newbies and highly speculative.
1: When there's a sector leader there that yeah. offers a bit more and a good track record.
2: Well, Min- mineral resources done over 25% compound returns since the listing. Yeah, every year average. So, you go, well, why would you want to punt on that when you, you get caught 25% of your compound return? Yep. Yeah absolutely all right uh now dean um
1: once once of you uh, dean if you're a shareholder you're probably a long-suffering shareholder of freedom foods uh has been suspended for quite a while um over seven months uh been a bit of a disaster but just made an announcement that they've reached uh, an agreement with their major shareholder for a recapitalization of the business Um, um, which is um, um, their biggest shareholder is a a family company, the Perich family. And they've also um, got in principle support from their biggest funders to uh, National Australia Bank and HSBC. Uh, Could this be, Mark, uh, Freedom Foods coming out of the abyss. and well, I is hope it so. A, is for, I it hope a good recovery. So, I, so, I hope
2: so for the long-suffering shareholders. Yeah, I, um, I think the bank. I read the uh, their uh, presentation to shareholders, and they actually said, uh, we you know, we came to the conclusion that our our whole models didn't work as far as their pricing and everything. In other words, uh, they the more they sold, the more money they lost." Right. You know, this, is, this is fundamental business, running a business. Yeah. So it's been a disaster is the only yeah. way to describe it. And I think even with the banks, all they've negotiated is a, a standstill, I think it's called, right. you know, where they don't foreclose on them, right. but they're not giving them any more money. So it's not approval like oh. yeah, everything's cosy. Okay. It's like, okay, we'll give you a bit more time. You've got some extra capital coming in from the original founders. I have no idea what that deal is. Okay. So, like. So they
1: reckon the recapitalisation will allow them to materially repay its senior
2: term and revolving secured debt. Okay, so they're paying out debt with the, yeah, the oh, grade capitalisation. <laughs> okay, so, so look, I don't know why you touch it. I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a it's a shocker. Yeah, this is like throwing be throwing good money after bad. Right. Okay, Scott.
0: I think Mark's point is Mark's question is somewhat rhetorical, unfortunately, for, for those shareholders, because if, you, if you've got it, you can't sell it. If you haven't got it, you can't buy it. So uh, whether you touch it or not is, is largely a, a result of previous decisions made, unfortunately, uh, as you both covered really nicely. This is a bit of a you know a terrible outcome where there was decent amounts of accounting. I don't know what the right word is to use to keep yourself out of jail. Let's let's just say accounting questions being asked uh, and the board answering them by making some executive changes in some parts. Um, It it is a really tough one to to know right now how to value this particular business. We don't know what the ongoing earnings are. We don't know even the terms of that recapitalization just yet. Uh, They may also, by the way, take some more capital on top of that from memory. Um, so look, this is this is a, a massive question mark right now. You can't do anything with it anyway. So even if I had a view, a strong view, there'd be nothing you could do with it. It was a buy on the Motley Fool Share Advisor Scorecard going into this. So we are uh, our members, at least, are still holding this one, hoping the outcome is decent. Uh, but we we have no choice but to, to hang around for the journey. The good news is the Perich family are you know the, are the recapitalizing partners, so they're the ones taking taking. Or putting more money in i should say now they're going to get a good deal on it so right. we're not necessarily getting the same terms as they are but at least they're still in for a penny in for a pound their success post the raising will be our success if we hang around we may not um but that's the, it's an open question they, so like right now there is no easy answer
1: are they what what's the fundamental business
0: so it, it basically does dairy largely and other kind of allergen-free food. So the Australia's own milk brand, for example, you'll see on supermarket shelves in Australia. They also export a whole lot of um, UHT alternative milks around Asia. Um, They had other businesses. They've actually sold off their snacks division as part of this uh, recapitalization. So the business will be much smaller moving forward. Quite capital intensive as well. In the past, we've been happy about that because at least, not unhappy about it because the Perich family themselves, again, having a foot on the business, figuring if they're making those decisions on their own behalf, then we're at least in the same boat going along for the ride, uh, remains to be seen whether that is a smart decision in in the fullness of time. It will be messy once the business relists. And then it's a question of whether the periches can make something, maybe a silk purse out of what currently looks like a bit of a sow's ear. Yeah. Yeah,
2: And I think the other thing you've got to remember too, Koshi, is that there's 2,200 stocks on the ASX. Uh, How many do you need in a portfolio? I mean, most people have about 20, uh, which I think is plenty. Um, And 20 is 1%. So it's one out of 100 companies. Why would you muck around
1: with something like this? Yeah, yeah. No, good, very good point. Um, Mark, uh, Zach wants a view on the future generation global investment company. Now this is a, um, a listed investment company, um, internationally focused. Um, from what I can, can gather, it has a pool of fund managers to uh, run the portfolio. And uh, part of the investment return goes to supporting charities um that have a focus on mental health issues it's a bit like um oh what's that um um the group um scott the big fund manager uh that chris cuff started um not hearts sons of hearts or whatever it's hearts and minds hearts and minds yeah Yeah. that's it hearts a similar sort of thing (coughs) investing with the heart and
2: uh, some of the returns go to uh, support charities. Uh, in principle, we don't. I don't like businesses like this because right. if, if, if I'm a I'm a I'm a reasonably charitable person, right. but I think as an investor you want to maximise your investment returns, and then you decide where you want to donate the money and, and yeah. so on. I think rather than buying into something that is somebody else is deciding where to donate money and so yeah. on. And right. I think what it does is it's very popular these days, you know, to to to, uh, come across as having a noble purpose of uh, helping society and it attracts money. So it's a a strategy that works, but I think it's the wrong incentives from a management point of view where I think they should be focusing on on, uh, building the business and getting a return to the shareholders.
1: Getting the best return and then we as the investor decide where we want it. Uh, well, that's my that's, money. that's my yeah. attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, uh, I don't I don't like it when
2: what, um, when management gives donations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, whether it's set up that way or it's Qantas saying, "Oh, we're going to give you know X million dollars to our favourite charity." Well, yeah, well, you know, that's that's very nice. Yeah, yeah, as shareholders' money.
1: Yeah, well, is, yeah. That, yeah. is that hard? It is a bit hard with Qantas <laughs> because it's actually our money as the passengers, but oh, but, because it's all the change that we put in, and then they give it give it okay. to the charities. Okay. Right. And claim it as Qantas's it <laughs> when it's all of us. <laughs> and and you get a text okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you reckon, Scott?
0: Oh, look, I'm, I'm gonna be slightly less, uh, slightly less unhappy about it. Look, I, I kind of think that here's the here's the thing: the fund managers themselves are donating their fees to charity. They're effectively doing this pro bono. Uh, and so to some degree, it's a little bit, it's kind of not, oh, the common, cool, I like to call it a story in a slightly different way. So yeah, yeah basically the, the, the fund itself is run using those fund managers expertise, but instead of receiving fees, they do their work pro bono and the chari- the, the money goes to charity. So that's kind of, <clears> look, if if, if, that is a, if that's a standard business and you're doing no worse than anyone else, then there's no harm in that fund going to charity yeah. rather than you yacht some yeah. fund manager, Agreed. right? That being, that being said, that is not enough reason in my mind to invest because if you can get better returns elsewhere, and then donate your excess profits if that's what you want to do to charity you yep. you're actually probably better off most of the time going for the highest possible return rather than a feel good investment in an organization that happens to have a charitable donation kind of approach as you guys were saying so yep. completely agree with with kind of the context of that the good news if you if you want some is this has been a market beating investment over 3 months 6 months a year and it's full uh, length of existence since September 2015 i mm. want to say from memory um, so look, it's, it's, it's doing, You know, it's worthwhile as an investment thus far, it's trading at 1.1 times book value, so it's not super cheap, and you want these things ideally at or just below book. So uh, there's no there's no desperate reason to recommend this over any other investment you want to make. And back to Mark's point about 2,000 odd other ideas out there, would I be rushing for this one? No, I don't think I would. But you know what, if you want a listed investment type company with a global perspective, and if you like the idea, some of your money is going to, as I said, some you know mental health charities rather than a new yacht or a new you know apartment or a new Maserati. Then then you know this there are worse places to look for ideas than this one. But yeah. it's also not so outstandingly wonderful. But I'd be saying to people, sell whatever you own and put your money into here as a as a first quarter yeah. call.
1: Yeah, but if you want to list an investment company, and and sure. particularly if you've got an interest in mental health charities and Correct. issues, could be a good combination. And it's a good performer, which is
0: great. There are many worse. There are many worse ways to yeah. invest your money than investing in this business. Yes, for yeah.
1: sure. Great explanation. All right, uh, let's recap uh, our first five stocks and um, stock of the day: Temple of Webster. A no from Mark, a Yes from Scott. Bank of Queensland. A no. GDI Property. A no. Nova Nixon, A no. Freedom Foods. Uh, good luck trying to get out of it if you're if you're in it. Hopefully it works out. Uh, and Future Generation Global, I know as well, although is a great performer. Um, and if you've got an interest in those mental health charities and the fund managers aren't charging their fees to manage it, that's a good thing. Um, here on the call, we have our own portfolio. We've been tracking since the 1st of July, thanks to our partner, trade. A uh, bit of a fantasy portfolio, if you like. Any stock that gets unanimous approval, two thumbs up from our Expert panel goes into it, if a, a stock's already in it and comes back up for adjudication, doesn't get the unanimous thumbs up, it goes out of the portfolio. Let's take a look at how we've been doing in the last week, down 3%, the month down one25 one and a quarter percent since the 1st of July, up 22%. Uh, some of the stocks that have been recently added, Insatech Pivot, 40S Memory, uh, cell, uh, Whitehawk Grange Resources, Objective Corporation, Stocks Taken Out, Hum Group, the old uh, Flexi Group, uh, Ridley, St Barbara, and Qantas. If you want to check what's in the calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Uh, coming up this afternoon on The Pulse, Open Markets Chief Executive uh, Ivan Chir- Chirilov, uh joins us as the company launches its pre-IPO funding round. That's from one PM, right after Ozbiz. All right, let's get into the second half of the call. Um, and Scott, uh, Alana wants a view on the BetaShares Global Gold Miners ETF, but this is uh, uh, one that's hedged into Australian dollars.
0: Gosh, this is this is this is a complex one. I gotta say, there are so many moving parts here because the first thing you've got is you've got the hedge component So you're not benefiting as you otherwise might, or by the way, uh, you're, not, you're not running the risk of being cost, any changes in currency. So that's the first bit. Second bit, you've got so many different miners across the world with so many different types of, <laughs> of sovereign risk, cost profiles, anything that goes with that, and then you've got gold itself as a commodity and where that goes. This is a really, really complex ETF. I'm not big on gold. I'm not big on gold miners, so I'm not going to recommend this one as a buy. I think you want to have a very specific as i said view on almost all of those four criteria almost independently because there are unhedged options available there are australian miners available you can invest in the commodity itself so this this kind of you need to have a view or at least a a reasonably positive sense on all four of those criteria before jumping into this particular etf i would if i was a betting man uh, i would expect the gold price to be lower rather than higher over the next five years than it is today um based on the supply and demand realities and and the cost curve that being said um, again, we're talking about a hedge product industry Australian dollars and so you got to allow for the currency and everything else just too complex for me in an area. I don't feel anywhere right. near bullish enough on any of those components to recommend.
1: Okay. And um, if you take out the hedging side, if if you're a gold bug wanting to go into a gold ETF, would you say uh, go in to an unhedged one? Is that a, just a simpler way
0: of doing it? Uh, I, I'm actually not sure what ETFs are available in Australia. Koshi. If I, I, if I, if I was a gold bug, <clears> to your <throat> point, I would probably, I I'd probably look for an, a quality Australian miner upfront. Right. And if okay. I can't find that specifically, or I don't want, to, I want an ETF. If there is an Australian gold miner ETF, as in the Australian miners themselves, that'd be my second choice. Right. On top of that, would I be unhedged as opposed to hedged? I think it depends on what you expect the dollar to go from here. I just don't have a strong view on that. So I'd rather say I don't know than give you a a false answer. Yeah, yeah, fair
1: enough, fair enough. Uh, Mark?
2: Uh, Also, uh, apart from the complexity, uh, it's only got a market cap of 26 million. Oh, it's okay. tiny. It's quite like small, this is this yeah. is global gold miners, and their total ETF value is 26 million. I can't even imagine to be economic to run it. Right at that okay. level, I mean, that's yep. a peanut sized portfolio. Yep. So yep. That, that, that would I would be interested anyway on that basis. But so uh, which means it would be fairly liquid. I, I don't know. I don't know no. actually. Uh, Scott might be able to tell from his systems what liquidity is like. Lots of blocks there, but it's anyhow. very small, very yep. small uh, market. cap. Um, the, the the other problem is going back to the hedging argument. Gold's priced in US dollars, so the hedging's yeah. turning it into a, a constant Australian dollar. Um, depends, you know, Scott's right; we can't predict what's going to happen with currencies. I would, if I was going to buy it, I would go unhedged for sure because right. I think long term, longer term, I'd rather be have a, a US results focused on an Australian dollar. That's my personal view, but yeah. that's all it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as gold prices, whether they go up or not, I'd be surprised if gold's not a lot higher in five years. So I'll be opposite right. to Scott. Right. Yeah. On that. And I agree with what he said about Australian miners. I mean Australia now, we're the largest gold producers in the world now. Yeah. know, yeah, right. So you know why do you need to go to yeah. Ghana or you know also <laughs> we places that have got major sovereign risk. Right. Yeah as well. You don't yeah. need to. Yeah. Uh, Australia, Canada, um, US—really, that, yeah—that's that, where the main main and our, games our are. Our I mean, gold miners are world class. Absolutely, they? absolutely, yep. yeah. Yes, yeah, Saracen, Northern Star are really good. Yeah. So you don't need to take the risk. Okay. So, All right. Um,
1: thank you for that, uh, Alana, uh, Matt, uh, Mark wants a view on JB Hi-Fi. We started the show talking about Temple and Webster, one of the darlings <coughs> of, uh, of COVID of twenty twenty. Um, JB Hi-Fi is way up there as being yep. one of the di- darlings, isn't it? The electronics it retailer?
2: Yes, and it's quite justified. Yep. Uh, JB Hi-Fi has had a spectacular, uh, consistent history yep. of growth. So they bought the good guys a few years ago, at the time we thought, yeah, yeah. you're going into white goods and so on with that work and so on, but that has. Right. And they've, their growth rate is running at 14%. per year with 97% stability. So that's just about a straight line of earnings. I'm not talking about share price, this is earnings growth. Earnings underpin ultimately what the share price will be or what the P-E ratio is. So it's been an incredibly consistent performer, uh, straight through um, Corona as well. They're selling smaller value. Oh, they do TVs and stuff, electronics and so on. But they don't have the same dynamic that Nick Scarly and so on has, where they're sort of capital, uh, durable goods that are long term. Yeah. I think they, they're 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 benefiting from the office home environment as well, big yeah. time. But it doesn't seem to matter what's been dealt up to them. They manage to keep growing their earnings, and ma- and the businesses uh, just keeps performing. Right. So it's a fabulous company, and uh, it's been a. Team Invest Wealth winner for quite a long time. We're showing it returning about 12.9% a year wow. uh, at the current price. And the current price of about $50 is right at the top of the PE range. So 18.6 PE, which is way, 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 way long, and Webster, right. yeah, yeah. Um, is at the top of their range. So their normal range is uh, 11.8 is the bottom quartile, up to 15 in the middle, 18. So it's quite a quite a tight range on JB Hi-Fi. Right. Um, I think you could probably buy it a bit cheaper if you want to buy it, but it's, I'd, I'd put it in as a buy. Okay, all right. And Very good management. And by the way, they have they have one of the lowest cost structures uh, in the in, in the industry, and yeah. the management is just excellent. Yeah. And Scott, someone was telling me
1: that in retail, it's about um, dollars per square meter of floor space um, mm. or sales per square meter of floor space. JB Hi-Fi has the highest in the world, mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> apparently.
0: It is phenomenal, isn't it? So look, yeah, that's right. I mean, the broader concept of unit economics, the idea of what you can deliver with a given amount of floor space is what determines success and failure in retail. As you say, sales per square foot or square meter, linear meter, whatever you want to use, uh, depending on how you calculate it, is exactly the metric you want to look at there. And I think JB's done a spectacular job. Not only are their stores phenomenal, but they've done a really great job of moving online. And I think we know, you know, we've seen in the US, for example, Circuit City go broke. Best Buy had to reinvent Mm. itself. Here, yeah. he, JB's done a really good job. Harvey Norman's kind of been drag kicking and screaming. Kogan, of course, exists here. I own shares in that for the record. Um, so it's been, a, it's been a fascinating thing to watch. JB has looked expensive for years and continues to go up. And so you look at that and say, wow, they're, they're doing a really, really great job of managing that transition. I'm not a shareholder, but as a customer, I've been delivered everything. I've ordered maybe two or three things in the last six months. They've all been delivered in in advance of the scheduled time. I delight the customer by under-promising and over-delivering. They're doing a really, really great job of that. Their pricing is uh, is good too. I do wonder what happens in five or seven years time when those stores we talk about start to become less economically successful because more of us shop online, either from JB or somewhere else. And so there may well be a reckoning at some point. Now, they might be able to do it really successfully, right? They can move us all online at a lower cost base, save those costs themselves. Maybe it's a net positive for JB. Or if others, Kogan and others online, Amazon, um, other online retailers start to eat some of their lunch and they can't make those stores work, at some point those stores themselves become uneconomic. You don't have to have too much decline at store level to really, really mess up your financials. Mm. All that said, at six, times earnings. I'll go with Mark. I will say I'm a buy. I think it's got the track record, the runs on the board. It's got great management. It's got a great brand promise. The, the brand itself is really cool and funky for those people who like that stuff. The prices are cheap for those who like that. Um, no reason to dislike it. it is the category leader in electronics and I think will be for a while to come. Just keep an eye on it and make sure those economic yeah. economics keep working. If they stop working, it might be time to abandon ship.
1: Right. Okay. All right. Good advice there, Matt. Thanks for the suggestion. Uh, Scott, Jill wants a view on Macmillan Shakespeare, the uh, um, big salary packaging, novated leasing fleet asset manager. Um, 1,300 people across Australia, New Zealand and the United Kingdom. Uh, it's customers, are, are big public companies, private companies, charitable. This is all about salary packaging, isn't it?
0: It is. And it's a, it's a really, really great business with one very, very large Achilles here, which I'll get to. Um, but effectively, McMillan Shakespeare does a really great job of delivering tax savings for its customers and a great service for the businesses who use it to provide those savings to their employees. So this is one of those companies that simply makes it easier for employees to end up with more money in their pockets and easier for employers to facilitate that. That's a pretty compelling offer. It and Smart Group, I I like Smart Group, around the same PE at the moment. Uh, We got a positive recommendation on Smart Group, but they're not with Mellon right now, Um, are doing a really good job of, of delivering on effectively, what's a tax? I won't say a loophole because it's designed deliberately, but some tax advantages that were generated and created by governments over time. To, to you know give those incentives to people. Particularly to, many of our viewers may not know, in the charitable and government sectors, there are even larger incentives mm. for salary packaging. You can salary package everything from meals, cars, mortgages, school Grocery, fees, the bills, whole Grocery, bills, the spots. whole
1: thing, isn't it? Right, yeah.
0: exactly, exactly. So it's it's quite a large, I mean, cars remain the, the key one by value uh, and, and by the number of people who take them, but the rest is really, it's a very complex area, and Macmillan and others do it really, really well. Now, at 14 times earnings, hard not to like Macmillan, as long as you remember that bit I mentioned before, which is it wasn't that long ago, Kevin Rudd basically put a, a you know a gun to the head of McMillan Shakespeare shareholders and said I will take your business away from you in in large part after the election. Now he missed being elected. McMillan Shakespeare shareholders dodged the, the metaphorical bullet, uh, but that's always going to be an issue if and when a government stands up and says actually, guys, we're taking this away. Those businesses become uneconomic. They simply they shrink yeah. too much to justify their current costs. So. You know, it's one of those reverse lottery tickets. You'll probably do okay for a while. If the the numbers ever come up, the wrong numbers in this case, you will be, you know, meaningfully, meaningfully hurt. It's a really difficult one to recommend to long term shareholders as a set and forget portfolio. I think it'll do really well unless and until the government changes the rules. And that's got to be the asterisk on that one.
1: Okay. So you're saying a yes, although you prefer smart group in this space?
0: Spot on. Yeah, it's a yes for me, but just keep an eye on it, right. because as and when those rules change. Shelders, I mean, Mill and Shakespeare fell, I want to say, 55, 60 percent when that yeah. Labor policy was announced. Even though Labor was not likely to be elected, they still fell massively. So just just keep an eye out.
1: Yeah, and, and it's a really good point, Mark, is that when you've got a when you've got a federal government going through rebuilding their budget um, after COVID, you think, even though it could be an election year, so they probably won't do it this year. They're going, um, to, they're going to have to make some they, big money-making decisions. I, I think
2: it's highly unlikely. Yeah. Um, the the government's not good at taking things away from people, right. and we've, there's very strong unions involved. Because if you look at the hospitals and so on, they do oh, the yeah. nurses and doctors and all that. Can you imagine the uh, health unions jumping up and down if you take away their salary packaging, because the salary packaging is fundamental to the value it's, proposition of what you're being paid. So we've got a more. friend who's a nurse at a hospital,
1: yeah. and she's got a special credit card to buy her groceries. Yeah. And even booze. Yeah. So I, I'd, I'd be very packaging.
2: surprised if any Australian government was yeah, brave enough fine. to mess yeah. with uh, yeah. salary packaging. Yep. But we Scott's don't know correct. Yep. It is the big risk. And I was yep. a shareholder in McMillan when Rudd came out with that um, right. thought bubble. Yep. Because <laughs> that's what it was. And the share price tanked. And it was a real lesson because it, was, it reminded me. Of company businesses that are reliant on some sort of government regulation that can change are inherently uh, it's an inherent risk and it's a big one so I've never owned it since Uh, the other the other things I don't like about it at the moment is their debts way too high they've got 125% debt to equity which is way way above our max it's been heading up as well Mm -hmm. they have had debt for quite a while they used to be debt free then they bought uh, in the GFC they bought uh, General Motors uh, GMAC, their finance business, oh, yeah. and then borrowed a lot of money, and then they, they the debt went right yeah. up, so we went, nah, okay. too risky, right. lower margin. I like the business. It's got a very good return on equity of 30%, apart mm. from the debt. The other problem is that it's got no growth. So the last seven or eight years, it's been really flat. Right. So last year was negative right. 0.4, 1%, so it's flat. Right. So there's no EPS growth. So you go, well, therefore, I've got to pay a pretty low price for it. So the PES, Scott says, not bad at 14. We're showing that returning 2.3%. Okay. Yeah, which is you know very very mediocre, right? Isn't it okay? Yeah, yep. And if I wanted ten percent, you know, I could only pay. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'd have to pay. if I want a ten percent return quickly. Uh, I couldn't pay more than eight dollars ninety nine. It's okay. currently $12.93. 12, so it's a long way off. Yep. Okay. So a no on uh, yep. Macmillan's
1: Shakespeare. Uh, Mark Michael wants a view on Resmed, the uh, um, the big um, um, sort of anti snoring. Sort of business, sleep apnea uh, 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 yeah. yeah. group with the machines yeah. uh, uh, through COVID really benefited because they turned those machines into ventilators or went into the vent- ventilator sales business. Yeah, they were sort um, of in it before, but yeah, they
2: obviously shifted priorities. Got it's a huge the same, same as um, Fisher and help Healthcare. Yeah, did, yeah. Did Morgan, as well.
1: Morgan Stanley just put out a report: <clears throat> um, retain their neutral rating, print uh, trim their price target to uh, twenty-seven dollars forty. Because they think ventilator sales will come down with vaccines. You, so, you, you, I think, don't know. you think so?
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many How many ventilators have we used in Australia? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Hard but overseas, and yeah. we've got thousands of them. Yeah, so yeah. There's, there's going to be an oversupply of ventilators forever. I yeah, think. Yeah. well definitely you turn- here. Anyway. Um, uh, so, Aresmet has been a fantastic uh, success story. Yep. Uh, originally, it's, it's really a US company now, but it was it was started here. Yeah. So it's dual listed, yeah. and they had they had a, a reputation. I think they had a fact. A little factoid was that they had um, uh, twenty eight quarters or fifty eight quarters or something in the US where they had r- uh, raising rising earnings and hmm. never missed in any quarter an right. increase in earnings, which no right. other company had ever done. Okay. That was one of their famous. Uh, right. I forget the numbers exactly, but. Um, so it's been an outstanding performer. It's a it's in a very prospective area because as the middle class comes up in uh, all over the world in China and everywhere else, yep. things like sleep apnea, these are the kinds of problems, first, first that world you don't, problems. They're first world worry. problems. If yep. you're if you're worrying about where you're going to get your next meal, you don't worry about whether you right. snore, yeah, yep. or whether you're yep. not sleeping properly. Yep. So as as the world becomes wealthier, more and more money gets spent on these things. Yep. And uh, the difference between Fisher and Parker Healthcare, which we prefer right. to ResMed, is that they're about three quarters hospitals, one quarter uh, sleep apnea and consumer markets. Right. ResMed's the other way around. Right. And they're both trying to encroach on each other's uh, markets. Ah. Um, the other thing with ResMed, it's, the returns have been excellent over the last decade, but we've, they've had a very strong tailwind with the US dollar. Right. So uh, in the US dollar's come off 12% in the last uh, few months on the Australian dollar. So it's going in reverse at the moment, and it's affecting CSL and others as well. So we, one of the things you can do because Resmed's dual listed, you can actually look at the US shares Ah. and see how they've performed, and you can really see it. It's a really big difference in what the returns have been. So because of the currency. Yep. So, uh, no, quality business, uh, we like it. It's currently in the top quartile of its PE range at 42 and its EPS growth running at about 13, which is healthy, yep, yep. but it's way too expensive uh, okay. in my view. And that's been hyped up because of the, uh, uh, the uh, expectation of the market that they were gonna make money through coronavirus. Right, okay, yep,
1: yep. all right. Um, Scott, what do you think of uh, ResMed? It was always put to me that um, if you can buy CSL for under 300, just that's when when to put in your portfolio and Resmed is the other foundation stock um, in a portfolio. Has it lost its luster?
0: I don't think so, Koshi. But I think you've got to keep a, an eye on the long term rather than the short term. So Mark's summary of the ventilator sales is absolutely spot on. I wouldn't be at all surprised if the stock is volatile, based on the short-term expectations of the market. I'm not a short-term trader, if I was, I might even be inclined, I don't know, maybe I'd sell it now, wait to see what happens if the market gets annoyed and, and disappointed and buy it back cheaper, but gee, that's 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 guesswork. More importantly for me is actually the long-term. Mark talked about the, the growing affluence in the rest of the developing world. That's a seriously important point for two reasons. One is the one he mentioned about incomes. The second is quite honestly, as they become more affluent, they're gonna put on more weight and sleep less well. And so not only do they have the money to spend on these problems, <clears throat> their growing affluence actually creates those problems. Now, mm. that's a pretty awful thesis for an investment, but it's also tends to be true. We know it around the world as, as the world develops, they become, you know, obesity is a growing issue. ResMed helps part of that. It's a, it's a symptom reliever rather than a solution, but it's gonna remain, I think, really, really popular for quite literally, I expect decades to come. Um, now, I'm not one to say put, put a stock in your portfolio, don't look at it in it for 20 years, but I think ResMed and Cochlear in particular in Australia, two stocks I'd be more than happy to own and, and assume a 20-year growth cycle just on the back of that long-term growth in, in affluence in the developing world. Now, it doesn't mean the share price will go on, you know, up and up and to the right forever and never never jink around, move around. There may well be better or worse prices and times to buy the shares. But if i to sorry, if you wanted to buy them, I would happily buy them today. I would put them in my portfolio. And if you've got a multi-year outlook, Ignore what happens in the short term with ventilator sales responses. Um, this for me is a sleep apnea issue or sleep apnea solution yep. business. And I think that's a very long term yep. growth industry you want to be involved in.
1: And isn't it great this country having the likes of CSL, Cochlear and ResMed hmm. as great Australian companies that have have a global footprint? It's just fabulous. Yeah.
2: Well, CSL and Cochlear are two of our... How many other global market leaders do we have? Yeah, 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 yeah. We've just, just had, extraordinary. It's, yeah, there isn't any really. I don't think there's any others. Fabulous.
1: Uh, all right, Michael. Um, thank you for that. And uh, Chris, uh, our final stock, um, Scott, is E Road. This is the uh, basically a New Zealand company that makes um, toll booths and your um, your, your buzzers. Um, you use toll roads, isn't it? The payment system yeah. for
0: it. It is, that's right, yeah, tolling, tolling and services, basically payments and, and associated infrastructure, hardware and software. It's a really fascinating business. There's a couple of cool Kiwi companies, that are little kind of enabler businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, Vista, of course, which does things like, you know, uh, cinema, um, cinema, you know, yeah. point of sale equipment. That's what like, really
1: came out of New Yeah, Zealand.
0: exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, another one too, Circo that does software yeah. for, for travel management. And you kind of think, you know, there's little, little business just uh, you know, building, enabling software, enabling systems for some other big companies. There's a really nice niche in that for a business that does it really, really well. e has done a pretty good job. The problem I have, unfortunately, is it's too small and it's trading at 57 times earnings. Oh, I'm happy yeah. to pay up for quality from time to time. That one for me is just, uh, you know, using some of those examples like the Circos and others of the world, there are times and frankly, Vista as well, given what's happened with cinema attendances, where being big in a really small niche can be great, other times it can be really terrible. And I think unless you have a really strong view on both the rollout of toll roads, the use of this particular company rather than its competitors, and the price you're paying, just a little bit too rich for my blood, wouldn't be surprised to see it do well. uh, But probabilistically, I can't put money on this one at the moment.
2: Okay, Mark? Um, yes, I agree with I agree with uh, all of that, and I just realised looking I was looking at the wrong numbers, so I just get the right ones up. I was saying that looks really good. <laughs> okay, uh, it's only been listed for less than a year. Yeah. So we yeah. have no data other than what they've come out on the listing, and the problem with that is listing when a company lists, often the number you don't know how what how much of a year is in that. Yeah. You know, depending on when you when you. So it's not like it's annualised out or anything. Yeah. So it's very hard to use those numbers. Yeah. We tend to want absolutely clear four years of data right. to have any confidence okay. in what we're seeing, what's actually going on. Yeah. Um, so the market, the market cap of this uh, company is, um, uh, actually I don't even know what the market cap it is. I'm showing NA for some reason. Right. Um, uh, no, well from an earnings point of view, there's, not, there's nothing, so we have no yeah. information. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I accept, so I accept, too early. It's just too early. Like, yep. There's nothing I could even comment on.
1: All right, so well, let's uh, recap the uh, the final five stocks. Uh, B shares, global uh, gold miners, a no from both uh, Mark and Scott. <laughs> JB Hi-Fi, a yes from both of them, goes into the calls portfolio. Uh, Macmillan Shakespeare, um, a yes from Scott, but in that sector he'd prefer Smart Group. Uh, a no from uh, from Mark because it's. So expensive at the moment, and high levels of debt. Uh, a ResMed, uh, a no from Mark. Uh, he prefers Fisher and Paykel in the in the sector. Got yep. Fisher and Paykel healthcare. A yes from Scott, uh, and because Mark said a no, it goes out of the calls portfolio. Oh, well, I, I didn't Do you feel really, I, really bad. I, I about didn't. It? I
2: didn't really say no. I don't think I said yes or no, did I? We just talked about it. <laughs> and right, I like, are you I like saying yes? What I did say, yeah, I'll say yes. Because okay. ResMed's been right. a long- stays in there. It's been a long-term team in Wealth. Yes. How can I say yeah. no? Yeah, 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 yeah. all right.
1: <laughs> but you thought there was going like, to be some I said I prefer Fisher Pocket, but okay. I like both of them. All right, excellent. <laughs> all right, great. See, it's always good to summarise, to yeah. clear this up. Yeah. Um, and uh, a no from E-Road. Uh, Scott Phillips from Motley Fool. Always <coughs> great to see you, mate. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Koshi. Thanks,
1: Mark. And Mark Morland from Team Investor. Always Good. great to stouch with you in the studio <laughs> Good to see you, mate. Have a Good great one. Good to see you week. too, thank you. All right, uh, just a quick note uh, uh, from us here at Ausbiz. We're doing a survey of our subscribers to learn more about our subscribers and make sure we're producing the kind of content you want. It's open until the 10th of February. Thank you to everyone who's already filled them out. Your comments are just fantastic. Uh, by doing so, Uh, Two people who fill it out will be randomly selected to win a $2,000 account in Superhero as well. Uh, That's our show for today. If you want to um, suggest any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV Twitter handle. Reminder, all the stocks in the Calls portfolio uh, and ResMed stays there. Head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. And if you're looking for your next investment, then tune in to the Startup Daily Show. Every day, the company brings you the company seeking capital and all the latest in the startup sector. Uh, today, they're joined by George Wang, the founder of Newbill, um, as he launches an uh, equitized campaign for his FinTech app that's coming up on the Startup Daily Show. Mm. And of course, uh, Loom is the one that's in the headlines today. The Brisbane-based company That has got the um, home COVID testing kit that the US government overnight has put 300 million US dollars in. They're building a factory in the US. Their first TV appearance was on the Startup Daily show in about July last year. So Mm. if you want to get ahead of the game between 2 and 3 p.m. here on Ausbiz. But coming up next, The Pulse. Stick around.